it's amazing how well-timed our look at Jesus as our living hope has been in, uh, in this season that we're in facing this pandemic. Um, it seems like, well, it's the only thing we're talking about. It's the only thing the news is talking about. And frankly, if you're kind of in the same boat I am, it's everything that you've been getting emailed about too. You've probably received a few emails and posts from companies about how they're responding to the uh, coronavirus pandemic, including companies that you completely forgot about. Um, I got an email from a shoe company that I bought shoes from online and I, I had bought them like a number of years ago and they emailed me and said, this is what we're doing. And I went, I, okay, thanks. I, I got an email from a bank that I no longer do business with saying, here's all of the things that we're doing about the crisis and how we're going to remain open to serve you. And I'm like, I'm not even a customer of yours anymore. Um, it just seems like I'm getting email after email after email from everyone. I got an email from uh, my old uh, college, my old university saying, here's all of the things that we're doing. And I went, great, but I haven't been on your campus or at your school for more than 20 some years. So why on earth are you sending me this communication? And it's because we, we don't really know what to do. So we over communicate and saying, here's how we're trying to respond. Here's how we're thinking of you. I even got a number of emails from churches that I connect with, that I learn from, that I uh, borrow ideas from. Uh, one email shocked me because the email said right near the very bottom, don't let a good pandemic go to waste. Now, I get it, but that's jarring. It's also highly effective because it was communicating in the email that what a pandemic like this does is get people to think about what they put their hope in in life. How are they living their lives? And they were communicating, this church was communicating that this is a great time to invite a friend to watch church online with them. This is a great opportunity for folks who never really think about God because life is pretty comfortable, kind of going in the direction that they're thinking it's going. And now no one really has control of what is happening. And that idea is so far reaching, it's a global pandemic, that it gets people thinking about what am I actually putting my hope in? And so this pastor was communicating, this is a great opportunity for you to invite someone who maybe would even be hesitant to come to a, a live Sunday service, you know, come to a building, I'm not sure what to expect, what kind of other things are going to be happening there, that sort of thing. Um, and they're basically saying, don't waste this opportunity. As a matter of fact, you actually have tools that you can use right on uh, our uh, Church Online uh, website, or you can, on Facebook, invite people to watch parties. You can invite people. You can share it with them saying, I'm going to be here. Why don't you come and join me? So that's what they're saying. It's just a jarring statement, right, that don't let a good pandemic, pandemic go to waste. And this idea that people are now thinking about their lives is actually a principle that's, that's well proven, uh, not only in scripture, but in life. And that principle is this, crisis reveals character. Crisis reveals character, it reveals who we are. When things are good, when things are happy, we can put on a mask and kind of go about our day. But when our situation gets rocky, when things start to happen that are out of our control, it reveals who we are, it reveals what we value, it reveals 
what we put our hope in. The part of that truth that crisis reveals character is actually most clearly seen when we consider how it works. Because it's easy to spot people's character when it's someone else. It's easy to spot how they handle a crisis. It's not easy to spot how we handle a crisis. It's easy to see in other people when the boss loses his temper, when they're challenged at a staff meeting, and you think, man, they need some anger management. That's a character thing they need to work on. Or, or the spouse or the family member who gets defensive every time a suggestion is made. You think they, they need to think about why that is, and they need to make some course corrections. They need to change character. Or you have that team member who colors the truth a little bit, a.k.a. lies, uh, in order to just keep the peace. They tell one person one thing, they tell one person another thing, just so that there's no tension, there's no drama. But they need to work on how to communicate the truth in a loving way. It's easy to spot in other people, but then when it comes to spotting our own character, we make, well, rationale, we make reasons, we make excuses, we have conditions that say, well, this is why I'm acting this way. This, I have mitigating circumstances. So my question for us today is simply this, what has this global crisis revealed about you? What has this crisis revealed about your character? Let me go first. This week, I had one of the most depressing days I have had in years. I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I was trapped. And I felt like even though I prayed, even though I read scripture, even though I sang worship songs to myself, listened to worship songs, I could not shake the feeling that everything that I was trying to do, trying to be in my relationship with God wasn't working. It wasn't actually affecting anything. And I felt like a little bit of the line from uh, the Lord of the Rings, from the cinematic uh, releases uh, from Return of the King, where Aragorn is gathered with the, the men of Gondor, the men of Rohan, and they're standing at the Black Gate and all of a sudden, the Black Gate opens and all of the troops of Sauron come marching out. And it's clear that they're outnumbered 10 to 1, 100 to 1. And Aragorn comes back and he says this line. I see in your eyes the same fear that would steal the heart of me. The things that you're asking for prayer for, for your job, for the health of your loved ones, for your family, for provision for basic needs like transportation. I, I felt overwhelmed by that. What can I do? What can we as a church do for against this rising tide? I felt that. Crisis reveals character. And it gave me a glimpse of where I was putting my hope. And more so, what brought me out of it was that it also revealed to me, here's some things that I can work on in my own relationship with God. Where do I want my hope to be? Why don't I start to put it there? Now, we're in part three of our series called Living Hope, a look into uh, the story 
that we find in First Peter. And the background in that story is that we have uh, one of the first disciples, a guy named uh, Peter, who is writing to a group of Christians who are under some uh, trials, who are under some persecution, simply because they're being Christians. They're not facing a global pandemic, but they are facing uh, just because they follow Jesus, they're being cut out of society. They're being cut out of all of the social gatherings, being able to shop at certain businesses. And we understand now what that's like in these days. And the apostle Peter was an amazing guy on his own because here was a guy who all through the gospel seemed to just consistently get following Jesus wrong. And yet after Jesus rose from the dead, he really turned it around and started to understand what it meant to get following Jesus right. And he was encouraging these Christians who were in a crisis, a crisis of hope, a crisis of faith. And he encouraged them with these words that this crisis is revealing your character. Don't let it go to waste. Use it. Use it to put your faith into a living hope. And here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with your minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Be self-controlled. Make deliberate, wise choices, trusting, knowing that Jesus is coming and he's got a reward for you. Grace. In other words, the full culmination of your salvation. Uh, Christians understand that we, we know that our, when we are saved, that our sins are forgiven, that we're living in a new reality of a relationship with God, but that it's not fully realized. It's still somewhat like a, a distance relationship because we don't see uh, Jesus. We don't see God face to face. He dwells within us. His spirit guides us and leads us, but we don't have that direct relationship as close as we could be fully in his presence. And that reward is still coming. And so he says, Put your hope on that. Put your hope that there's going to be a full, complete realization of your redemption at a later time. But then the question becomes, well, how? How, how do you do this? How do you, how do you put your hope fully on this? How do you set your mind to put your hope into a day that's coming, a day that this, this battle is going to be won, a day where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, and that there will be a reward, the complete and full realization of your redemption. In other words, what's that look like? What's the picture on the box? It says, um, well, there's two things that you have to decide to do. And the first is to live like God is your heavenly father. Live like God is your father. He says in uh, 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy, be like God, he says. Live like the God of the Bible actually exists. He actually has power and actually is working a plan. Don't ignore God. Be self-controlled because you recognize that God exists. And I think we understand what it means to have self-control, especially today, because we saw all over the news people who panicked 
and didn't exhibit self-control and started hoarding things and said, you know what, I don't care about this virus. I don't care if I get sick, I get sick. And they went and had parties on beaches and, and spring break and all of that. It's, it's like not taking precautions and self-isolating. Live like God actually exists, he says. And don't conform to evil desires like when you didn't know any better. In other words, live for God, not you. And you see this most clearly in the home, which is why he says, live as obedient children who understand that they answer to a father. Now, in Peter's day, there was a patriarchal system. And the patriarchal system would have meant that no matter how old you were as a child, your father was always still the head of the household. And you would see this often more in richer families, in more well-to-do families specifically. but. There would always be a sense that those people connected to a family, those people connected to the family name, and the most important person in that household was the patriarch and matriarch of that family. And you would always listen to them, no matter how old you got, no matter how independent you were, you would always listen to them. And we don't see that as much in our society today. Kids turn out to be 18 years old and they move out of the home. Oh, wait, did I say 18? I meant 28. And they move out of the home and they go and they start their own lives and they become the head of their own household and the parents don't have as much influence. But back then, when Peter was writing, the father still had enormous influence until he was no longer able to function, giving that kind of authority, giving that kind of leadership. And so Peter, to those people and to us, says, live like God is your patriarch, the head of the household, the head of you. And what he means by that is this, it doesn't matter how you feel about how, why you were asked to do something. It matters who's asking that you end up doing something. We see this in the family dynamic all the time. Uh, when school was still on, Josh would go and sometimes he would stay after school. Sometimes he'd stay late for some extra help with classes. Sometimes he would stay late and hang out with some friends and play some games with them. And I would get a text uh, and say, hey, can you pick me up in 20 minutes? Now, let me tell you, if you had a said, hey, can we meet in five minutes? If it had been you, I would have probably said, hey, listen, I've got something else going on. I can't uh, do that right now. Hey, why don't we set another time to get together? But because it was Josh, because it was family, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to jump in the car and go and pick him up from school because he's my son. You do that for family. You, you listen to the people that are in your family. And in this patriarchal society, we kind of get that as parents too, especially when our kids are younger. When you ask your child to clean their room, it really doesn't matter how they feel about it. Because if they keep pressing and they say, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to listen to you? Eventually you say, because I am your father, because I am your mother. That's why you have to do this. That's what Peter's getting at here, is treating God like he has authority directly over our lives. Now, imagine the alternative. Imagine a child telling their parent, um, yeah, I know you told me to, but I decided not to do it. When you did that to your parents, how well did that go? How well did that go for you? How well did it go for you when you did obey simply because of who asked you, because it was your parents that asked you, 
it usually went well. I know what you're thinking, but God isn't asking you to do something that you can't, that your circumstances aren't allowing you to do. There are no mitigating circumstances that give license to disobey God when you're a follower of Christ. Life isn't about, well, what makes me happy is what God is most interested in. That's not what life is. Life is about what makes you holy. That's what God is most interested in. So he says, be holy because I am holy. And the way that we do that is that we value what God values. And Peter goes on to say, don't just live like God is your father, but live like God is your judge. Here's what he says. Since you call on a father who judges each person, each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that were redeemed, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Christ, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. God is not just your father. Christian, believer, he is more than just your heavenly father. He is your heavenly judge. And he's really good at being both at the exact same time. Because there's no nepotism with God. There's no, well, this is my son, so I know he messed up, so I'm going to break the rules for him. This works like this. He's going to judge your obedience by looking at how you live because it shows what you value. Crisis reveals character. And he warns, Peter warns, that wealth has this sneaky way of saying, let me give you all of this security. Here's all of these things that are happening. But it's not secure. So how do I value Christ's death and resurrection? How do you show value? How do you show that value? Well, if you were to look at how to bring value to your organization and you Google that, there are two things that come up consistently. The one is that to bring value to your organization, you be part of the bottom line. You want to bring value, want to be valuable to your company, then you need to help it make money. <clears throat> and remember that time is money. Your most valuable commodity is your time. Spend it wisely. Uh, just as a note, we saw that there's some issues happening over at live.trinitylionschurch.com. Uh, we apologize for those issues. We'll try to keep working on them in the, in the behind the scenes here. So show that Jesus Christ has value by living like God is going to judge how you value Jesus. So how do you value a person? Spend time with them, spend time serving them, spend time uh, appreciating them, live for them, sacrifice for them, value them. 
And that's a real challenge for some Christians. And one of the things that's really interesting about this uh, current situation in which we live is that now there's all sorts of openness in our time. We haven't jammed all sorts of activities in because we're, well, we're really all homebound at this point. And yet to say that we value someone and only spend 10 or 15 minutes a day with them, I wonder if that really communicates value to that person. For others, they spend a little bit of time saying, I love you, I appreciate you, but then pursue other things in their lives, even things that just make them happy instead of making them feel holy. And please understand me, this is, there's no question that God is a God of love, God is a God of grace, that he offers forgiveness to those who desire to repent. But when you try to pull the wool over God's eyes and say that, listen, I don't have to obey you. You only end up pulling the wool over your own eyes because the definition of repentance is not saying you're sorry, but it's demonstrated life change. It's a change in direction. And it's not a desire to say, listen, I'm really sorry I did that. Let's make things right. And then turn around and go back out, fill up the sin bucket, as Andy Stanley calls it, and then come running back and dump it all out again and say, hey, can you forgive me for these things too? So he says, value Jesus more than anything. Live like God is your heavenly father. Live like God is your heavenly judge. Because he's both. And next week, we're going to talk about how to put that into practice. How valuing Jesus above everything else gets put into practice. How putting our hope in what he's going to bring us gets put into practice. How do we practice living like God is our heavenly father? How do we practice living like God is our heavenly judge? We're going to talk about that next week. But one thing I want to give you uh, to do this week, just as we wrap up, is this. Take some time this week and sit with your spouse or sit with a good friend via phone, a phone call or via video chat, and simply ask them this question. Would you say that I'm living like God is my heavenly father from the way I've been acting during this crisis. And then ask them, would you say I'm living like God is my heavenly, God is my heavenly judge from the way I've been acting during this crisis? Ask them because good friends will tell you and they'll tell you in love. They won't sugarcoat it. They won't try to hide it, but they'll say, yeah, I've seen how this crisis has revealed your character, and then you can leverage that to become more holy, to set your mind on the hope that is to come to you when Jesus Christ returns. In other words, Christian, be who you are. Be who you are. In the animated movie, The Lion King, Simba, the main character, is running from the mistakes of his past, which had caused his father's death. The king of all the animals had died because of Simba's mistake. And now he was living by a new philosophy, Hakuna Matata. No worries, but it wasn't working out for him. He had incredible worries. He had incredible fears. And all of a sudden, Rafiki showed up. Rafiki, a little monkey, 
who was the advisor to his father, the king, way back when, comes and he says, I know who you are. You are Mufasa's boy, the king. Simba says, that's not true. My father is dead. And Rafiki strongly disagrees. He says, no, I know your father. He's alive. And after a brief chase through a jungle scene, we see that Rafiki leads Simba to some water where Simba sees his reflection. And he says, look deeply. Your father is in you. And in the animated version, the clouds part and we see a uh, Simba having a vision of his father. And his father says this. Here's what I want you to take away from this. His father says this. You've forgotten who you are. Remember. Remember who you are. You are my son. Christian. Have you forgotten who you are? Church, it's time to be who we are. To live like God is our heavenly father. Like he is in control and he is in control of us. It's time to live like God is our heavenly judge. And live by his standards. Because he is the one who judges us impartially take some time this week to meet with your spouse to meet with your loved one and say am i doing that how is this crisis revealing your character and what steps do you need to take to be who you are with god's help and with his spirit prompting Let's take those steps together. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, as Christians, we struggle with allowing you to be God in our lives. But you are God. And you are using this moment to sharpen and strengthen our character. So would you help us to trust you as our heavenly father, to obey you simply because it's our father who is asking. And would you remind us that you are our judge, you are impartial. You are not asking us to do things that we cannot do because of mitigating circumstances. So would you help us to be who we are? And Lord, for those who are watching and listening today or later on uh, this week in the recording or thinking I've never actually decided that you are my father, that you are my judge, this is, would you help them to have the courage to take this opportunity to surrender their lives to Jesus, to recognize that they are a sinner to recognize that they are lost without Jesus. Would you help them to confess, to know and to trust that you love them, that you sent Jesus 
to die on the cross for them to take their punishment and that you then raise Jesus from the dead. And that when they put their faith in that, when they put their hope in that, in their living savior, the one who died for them and rose from the dead, that their sins can be forgiven, that they can repent, that they can have new life and new hope through Jesus. Would you help them to make that decision today or as they're listening? Would you prompt them to put their hope in the living hope, Jesus Christ? Lord, thank you for your word. Would you help us to not let a good pandemic go to waste? Would you help us to be who we are? We are yours. We are your children. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.